It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, get ready, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We appreciate you joining us. Always great to have you aboard. 1-866-408-7669 if you want to participate in all the fun. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will be with us. As you know, he's chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, but he'll be resigning soon. Some say he's going to run for governor. Let's get that story. Brian Yenis is in Guatemala and then traveling with the vice president to Mexico. He was on the streets, something the vice president maybe she couldn't do for security reasons. But I didn't see an effort of her leaving the embassy. Brian Yenis on the real story in Guatemala and why they're coming here. And what about that story about Donald Trump's supporters in Guatemala? saying he really won the election? I got to get to the bottom of that. I'm not sure that Brian knows, but I will eventually get to the bottom of it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. The problem that we face here isn't the WHO. It's not even really Dr. Fauci. The problem is the Chinese have engaged in a massive cover-up that uh, is going on going until this until today involving destroying samples hiding records placing a universal gag order on chinese scientists uh there you go jamie metzel uh, weighing in he's a, uh, a who advisor and former official with president clinton from fringe theory to accepted cause that's how fast the lab leak theory has gone from marginalized anti-chinese conspiracy talk to likely cause of the deadly global global pandemic that's killed 600,000 Americans. Why now? And what took so long? Why is anyone listening to Anthony Fauci to begin with? All questions we try and answer. Number two. The blow comes from West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin has become the new Mitch McConnell. Senator Manchin would rather preserve Jim Crow. We're talking about basically saving the country here, and I feel very sad for us and uh, annoyed with him, frankly. Joy Behar, always a voice of reason. Manchin madness. Republicans praise him. Dems vilify him, but he might not might, might be America's MVP. I'll explain. Dems desperately try and get their lavish spending and massive voter restructuring passed, and Manchin and others stand in the way. Number one, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So this whole, this whole, this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. And I haven't been to Europe. And I I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. How could you not understand the point you're making? The vice president is in charge of illegal immigration at the border. And that was an interview they just did with NBC. Another awkward interview with the awkward laugh as another nation blames Biden for the border crashing as VP Harris visits Guatemala and claims we have already been to the border. She claims climate change and women's rights for the breakdown of our southern border. What an embarrassment she is. You remember how bad of a candidate she was after a great opening speech with a big crowd and a lot of enthusiasm. She couldn't answer any questions. She didn't know the issues. She didn't know the danger in which she said. She didn't know the other side of important 
political movement. So she failed. She raised a lot of money, got a lot of attention, and could not last a primary. Now you know why. She gives no press conferences, almost no interviews. She was given three jobs that I know of. She has to sell the country on the vaccine. I haven't seen that yet. Number two, she has to sell everybody on this H.R. 1 that's supposed to revamp and nationalize elections. It's a horrific piece of legislation, but she's supposed to travel around and sell everybody on it. And with a compliant press, she probably would have had great, easy interviews. So then she was in charge of the border. That first. She's done nothing. She gets the mantle, gets the job, gets the charge, and goes to San Francisco, goes to Chicago, goes, you know, goes everywhere, never goes to the border. Says in June, now we're in June, I'll go to two countries in Central America, Central America. She chose Mexico and Guatemala. She's in Mexico now, Guatemala yesterday. She never left the embassy. In 10 minutes, I'll talk to Brian Yenis about it. So she sits down with what she thought was probably going to be a cake interview. And this, by the way, is not a hard question. Cut one. We are going to the border. We've been to the border. So this whole, this, whole, this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Well, I, I, I mentioned it because I, you've been, I, I know Republicans have certainly come at you on this, but Democratic Congressman Cuellar as a border district has said to the, you and the president, come. You need, I care you need to see about, this. Listen, I care about what's happening at the border. I'm in Guatemala because my focus is dealing with the root causes of migration. There may be uh, some who think that that is not important, but it is my firm belief that if we care about what's happening at the border, we better care about the root causes and address them. And so that's what I'm doing. Okay. She's in Guatemala. You should have been there three months ago, number one. Number two, the border was part of your charge. You just refused to do it. And political experts that are close to you say they panicked when you got this charge because there's such a, uh, there's such a, a danger of failure. Right. But if you don't want to be president, if you don't want to fail, don't be president. Don't be vice president. Don't be attorney general. Don't be senator. Well, you could be senator. You could fail. No one will ever know it. But in life, you don't not do something because you're going to fail. And if my aides told me, don't get involved with the border, you could fail, I'd say, I need new aides. Really? What if I solved it? What if I got this reputation for solving big problems, tackling issues that the president asked me to, like Mike Pence did and like Joe Biden did? I believe he he was back and forth and and he slowed things down or at least made the effort, went right from Europe to Central America because Barack Obama told him to. This woman does not do anything the president says. You heard what I just outlined. So 170,000 illegals are being stopped at the border for the third straight month, over 170,000 for the third straight month. So does that number disturb you? It should, let alone the 17,000-plus unaccompanied minors that are now our job that we're paying for. They'll end up on our welfare system, going to sponsor families they may or may not relate to or thrive there. And now we have to go and separate politics. It's time for it to leave the friendly confines of uh, the vice president's observatory where they house. Time to leave Democratic fundraisers. It's time to go to Guatemala where they're going to ask you why haven't you gone to the border and what the problems are. So here's what she said yesterday about those who wanted to go to the border. Cut to. On the issue of uh, Republicans' political um, attacks, or criticism, um, or even concerns. 
Uh, the reason I am here in Guatemala as my first trip as Vice President of the United States um, is because this is one of our highest priorities and I came here to be here on the ground to speak with the leader of this nation around what we can do in a way that is significant, is tangible, and has real results. Okay, she just want to grandstand and go to the border. You could choose to go somewhere and only make a cameo, or you could choose to go there, put in your jean jacket, and say, who's that in the pickup truck? You Border Patrol? Take me for a ride. Of course, security clear and do all those things. Tell me where the road stops. Tell me what you need to help. Tell me about the technology. Tell me, does the fence, does the barrier work? How short-manned are you? Can I see a facility? Or you could just show up and grandstand. And by, you can make a stupid comment like the president did and say, well, if I go down there, I, I create so much disruption. No, that's after a hurricane, not after Border Patrol. If you show up in an empty, vast land, uh, land, uh, land base, no one's going to complain. Believe me, Border Patrol would love the attention and to be able to explain to you one-on-one what the issues are. That's if you care. That's what you and I would do because we would care. Whatever the issue was, we would care. So Kamala Harris makes it clear She does not want you to come. Cut three. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Okay. The United States will continue to enforce our laws. You got it. She says don't come. Now, what kind of message is that, right? The message is don't come. She's saying it in Guatemala, right? You got the job in January. The surge was happening from the minute you guys won the election. Overwhelming because you took down all the barriers, literally the barrier that was being built, let alone the remain in Mexico in the third country where you got to apply and the, the, the tariffs that were on these countries if they did not secure their border. All that was eliminated. So the masses came. You show up in June and say, don't come. No one is listening. So it's easy if I say that. Uh, I am very critical of her. I think she's an awful, lazy politician who does not deserve the mantle, who I hear is not even liked by the Bidens, who was torn apart by Tulsi Gabbard. She had no answers for anything. So the president of Guatemala, just tell me, if you would, through a translator, who I hear is not a great guy, but just tell me through a translator what the cause of everyone leaving your country and coming to ours? Cut five. We're not on the same side of the coin. We are in agreement in the what, which is something. We're not in agreement in the how. The message changed to, we're going to reunite families and we're going to reunite children. The very next day, the Coyotes were here organizing groups of children to take them to the United States. We asked the United States government to send more of a clear message to prevent more people from leaving. The president of Mexico said the people are coming because they look at Joe Biden as a migrant president. They walked across with T-shirts on. The president of Guatemala, knowing the vice president was coming the next day, said the same thing. Case closed. You are allowing this to happen. You are costing us billions of dollars. You are dispiriting the Border Patrol. You're hurting our security in in a pandemic that you first and foremost say is still raging and affecting all of our lives. And that's your answer. 
Your answer from another leader that sees it firsthand, that doesn't care about politics, at least doesn't understand American politics, actually has a worthy suggestion. When we come back, I'm going to go to Mexico. Brian Yenis is covering it, was in Guatemala. He did what the vice president didn't do. He walked the streets of Guatemala and talked to the people. He speaks fluent Spanish. He's going to be joining us. Uh, You don't want to miss it. Then Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on the mayoral races that have gone Republican in traditionally Democratic districts. That's because this border issue matters to Hispanics, too. Back in a moment. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expectations were created that with the government of President Biden, there would be a better treatment of migrants. And this has caused Central American migrants and also from our country wanting to cross the border, thinking that it is easier to do so. And that is the president of Mexico making a comment earlier about why there's such a surge at the border and why everything has fallen apart since President Biden has taken over. Brian Yenis doesn't uh, need people to report. He actually does it himself. Uh, He was in Guatemala now traveling with the vice president into Mexico and doing a great job finding out on the ground what the story is. Brian, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, so Brian, you're able to use your uh, Spanish really to your advantage again. <laughs> so you were able to walk in Guatemala. Did you feel safe first off? Did you know where to go? Yeah, no, I felt safe. Uh, you know, well, look, I mean, when you have when you have two locals who are paid security, it's easy for me to say I feel safe. But, but generally, yes, uh, you know, it was. We were, we were with the people. We weren't, you know, you know I'm sure there were, we weren't embedded with MS-13 or Badio-18, the two gangs that were down there. But, uh, you know, in Guatemala City, it is a it is their mecca. And in terms of feeling safe, if you're going to feel safe in, in Guatemala, it's going to be here. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think it was pretty safe. I felt safe. Uh, what did you find on the ground when you talked to the people? Look, I, it's we're talking about a population here that two-thirds of the population makes two dollars a day um, when you talk to them the overwhelming majority of people will tell you the reason why they're thinking about leaving and they don't want to leave 
is really an economic one in Guatemala. That's different than in Honduras and El Salvador, the other two countries in the Northern Triangle. It is really about jobs and opportunities. We went to the largest slum in Guatemala here, uh, the second largest city. It's called uh, Villa Nueva. And uh, we spoke to a 35-year-old mayor, and he walked us through this slum. And as we were walking around, everybody was crowding around us as if we were like some sort of celebrity, but it wasn't us. It was the mayor. They loved their mayor. And the reason why they loved their mayor is because the mayor is the only person who has, for the first time in their lives in that slum, actually created some sort of a difference by paving some roads and doing that. But he's done that with no help from the national government. And that's really at the heart of the problem down there, Brian, that in Guatemala, it is corruption. You want to talk about root causes and whatnot. The issue is corruption. $1.7 billion of U.S. aid money goes down there over the last 10 years. And a lot of these municipalities, like in Villanueva, uh, the mayors are saying, we're not seeing that money. The money that's being sent is not coming to the places where they need to see it. As a result, we were walking through slums with no roads, barely any electricity, uh, shackle homes, no, no, you know, no, no jobs. And what the mayor was telling us is, look, if you can pave this road, if they can see the difference in their actual neighborhoods, then they won't feel the need to leave. And then I asked, uh, you know, we had about two dozen people around us at one point, and I asked all of them, you know, raise your hand if you thought about leaving the United States. All of them did. Raise your hand if you know somebody who's left the United States. All of them did. But when you ask them also, like, do you want to stay, all of them say, yeah, we're trying everything we can to stay because we love our country. So from here in this perspective, about 80% of the people that leave from Guatemala, it's an economic problem rooted in that, and it's rooted in corruption. So one of the comments from the president the day before the vice president got there was the minute you came in and said we're going to reunite families, the coyotes showed up and started organizing groups of children to take them to the United States. And we have 17,000, maybe more, uh, dispersed across the U.S., unaccompanied minors. Does Would you think the administration was shocked by that directness? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I got to think that they know behind the scenes. Well, you know, I guess it's one thing to say it publicly, right? Because I know behind the scenes, the conversations that are being had are, are, are blunt. You know, the United States is having a, a blunt conversation about corruption, and I'm sure on the other way around. Uh, Giamante, the president of Guatemala, has been very clear and uh, pretty brash about where he stands. He, uh, he's not. You know, as much as he says he's against corruption, he's been fat, fight, uh, fighting. Uh, some efforts there um, that were meant to curb corruption in that country. So in terms of the, their comment on American-U.S. policy, I think you have a situation in Guatemala and in Mexico because Mexico's president also acknowledged that, look, your policies, for better or for worse, have led to people wanting to go to your country. And I think the, the, what we're seeing on this trip, Brian, is that this administration is really, really concentrating on long-term solutions long-term solutions. I mean, we're talking 10, 15, 20 years. But what they're not really concentrating on in terms of details is the short-term solution. You know, we've had this whole semantics about whether or not this administration believes what's happening at the border, which is 20-year highs in apprehension, is a crisis. They refuse to call it a crisis. And it's interesting that in this two-day trip for the vice president, they're not talking about short-term solutions that one would expect to handle a crisis. They're talking about long-term solutions, and they don't want to get into the specifics about about that. So I, I, I think that, you know, the, Guatemala has said they're going to surge people at the border. Uh, Mexico. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. 
daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. So, already did that under President Trump. So, it'll be interesting to, today to figure out what specifically is Mexico going to do that was different or any different than what, than what they've been doing to try to curb the illegal immigration, because they've already added troops on border uh, under President Trump. So right. uh, what's the next step here? Um, that, that's going to be the big question. And, of course, uh, what is the schedule, real quick, under a minute, Bri, uh, what is the schedule for the vice president today? She's going to meet with the president. They're going to have a bilateral conversation this afternoon. They'll take some questions about uh, 545 Eastern time, and then she'll meet with some young entrepreneurs and, um, you know, uh, some, some, you know, talk about starting businesses and whatnot. Uh, she'll have some roundtables. But this is a quick trip. She spent a, a day in Guatemala, didn't leave uh, the Palace area, really, and she'll be here in Mexico City, and she'll leave tonight. And she's getting pressured to go to the border. Even uh, Lester Holt was pressuring her. Uh, Brian, thanks so much. Great job yeah. as usual. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, we come back, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Why he resigned from the Texas GOP slot and what he plans to do next, as well as what's happening on our border and the election results that gave Republicans major seats for mayor races. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Let's bring in Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, great friend of the show, senior fellow at the Media Research Center. And, you know, he was a congressman from the 22nd Congressional District. But that was Florida. Will he be running for office again? Uh, Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Brian. How are you doing? Good. So, Colonel, bring us inside the decision to resign as Texas GOP chair. Well, there's been a lot of people who are asking me, you know, what I consider, you know, running again for elected office. It's been over a decade since I've been in an elected political position. And, you know, I think in all fairness, it would be very disingenuous if I did not take some of these considerations and these requests uh, honest and, and uh, prayerfully consider them. And so I thought it would be best that I would step down as the uh, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. And we've had a lot of great success. As a matter of fact, we just won a, a mayoral race in McCaffrey. Allen, Texas, which is down there on the border, first time in almost 30 years they've had a Republican in a uh, mayor's uh, position down in that area. So uh, I think now is a good time to off-ramp and look at running for a future political office here in Texas. Where it is, it's governor. Well, you know, uh, I, I know there's a lot of things, a lot of rumors, and so we will just uh, take our time and assess things and see uh, what type of support is out there and build an infrastructure, and then we'll make an announcement within the month. Did you like uh, being a congressman? You know, I love serving people. I mean, that's that's the heart of my family. My father served this nation in World War II in a segregated army. My older brother served as a Marine in Vietnam. I did 22 years myself. My nephew is a lieutenant colonel serving in the army right now. So, you know, being a congressman was just the extension of that service, just not in, in fatigues and wearing a helmet and boots. So did you, I mean, in other words, you were there for a couple of years, but you, did, you, did you like it enough to want to do it again? 
Well, any uh, capacity that you could get out there and serve people is a, is a great thing. But I will tell you this, Brian, when you look at where we are in America right now, Texas is on the front line. Uh, the, the collapse of our border, the fact that it's so porous, you look at the uh, lack of response and attention being paid to our border by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and how she was rebuked by the president of Guatemala uh, just yesterday. we got to do uh, the things to make sure that Texas is safe, secure, strong, and it continues to be that beacon. And we're the Lone Star because the Lone Star of Texas illuminates the other 49 on the American flag. It's a pretty amazing. I'll play it now. Uh, Kamala Harris was asked why she has not gone to the border, the border that you and I have seen. It is pouring mm-hmm. through at 170,000 minimum people a month for the last five months. Think about what that's doing to our country, our budget. Here's what she said. Listen to this. Cut one. We are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Well, I, I mentioned it because I, even, I, I know Republicans have certainly come at you on this, but Democratic Congressman Cuellar, as a border district, has said to the, you and the president, come. You need, I care you need to see about, this. Listen, I care about what's happening at the border. I'm in Guatemala because my focus is dealing with the root causes of migration. She, she's actually said, I haven't been to Europe either. She doesn't understand the premise or the point? Doesn't understand the point you're making? I mean, she's not a dumb person. Well, that exchange would kind of lead someone to believe uh, contrary to what you just said. That was the most delusional and deranged response that I've ever heard. I don't know what going to Europe has to do with going to uh, the border here in Texas where we do have a serious crisis and a serious incident that is going on. And the fact that she would stand there and say, we've been to the border and we're going to the border, I don't know who we is because she has not been down here. Without a doubt, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris do not want to bring attention to what is happening down here. You just said over 170000 again for the of May, we know that we had about 178,000 uh, apprehensions at the border. But the other thing that is troubling, we had over 45,000 that were not apprehended that were, you know, got away, and uh, we don't know where they are. We don't know who they are, but they are somewhere out here in Texas. They're somewhere in the United States of America. And think about, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago in D.C., the drug bust that they had. Uh, enough fentanyl was found that could kill 21 million Americans, the money that they were able to uh, to capture and the weapons. And guess what? All of that was tied back to the to the Sinaloa drug cartel. So that is in Washington, D.C. So this should be something that is on the top of the list for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to uh, rectify. So she said, do not come to in Guatemala, by the way. And I want to get to what's happening in Texas. That's election significant. That went to a Republican mayor. Uh, in a traditionally Democratic district in Texas. Mm -hmm. But uh, AOC tweeted this out. This is disappointing. After she said, don't come to the people of Guatemala, four months too late, no one believes her, because in 2017 she said uh, basically anyone should be welcome. Uh, AOC says this, this is disappointing to see. First, seeking asylum at any U.S. border is a 100% legal method of arrival. Second, the U.S. spent decades contributing to regime change and destabilizing in uh, Latin America. Uh, we can't help set someone's house on fire and then blame them for fleeing. Does she like anything about this country? Anything at all? 
No, uh, I mean, absolutely not. And I mean, that's the basis of progressive socialism. And that's why you see all of this critical race theory, 1619 project and everything, because they hate this this country and they want to eliminate our history, not just revise it. But when you talk about, you know, Kamala Harris or you look at AOC and these people aren't coming here for asylum, they're coming here because guess what? The policies have changed. The open borders policies of Joe Biden, which even the president of Mexico uh, alluded to that that uh, it was Biden who caused this issue. Uh, they have completely reversed those policies and enabled this to happen. And now we have to be concerned about, you know, the, the remain in Mexico, the Title 42, and all of these things being eliminated as well. And we should say the Title 42 is because we're in a pandemic, which means you got to turn right around. Any single male that comes across, they turn right around. We're in a pandemic. When you take out the medical portion of, mm-hmm. uh, of immigration uh, at our border, which we shouldn't have to get to, all hell is going to break loose. All hell is going to break loose. This is a pandemic where they're upset at us if we go to a Walmart without a mask on. We're allowing all these people from other countries to pour in. Colonel, they're coming from Romania. Yes, uh, over 140 different countries uh, are, are now coming across our southern border into Texas. And, and, and let me remind people again, Texas is the number one state in the United States of America for human and sex trafficking. Dallas and Houston are the top two cities in America for human and sex trafficking. But yet we have someone that is laughing about going to Europe instead of taking this situation right. serious and securing our border and shutting down these uh, th- this illegal immigrant problem and supporting these cartels who are getting rich on bringing people into the United States of America. All right. So there's a couple other things going on. And the president of the United States uh, focused on it yesterday. And he was asked about critical race theory. And as usual, he just diminishes anything that's not his issue or any rep- things Republicans care about. He just uh, giggles it away. Here's Listen to what he says he's assessed now that he's on the outside, cut 25. I also think that there are certain right-wing uh, media venues, for example, that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment of... Uh, a white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing uh, demographic changes and and do everything they can to give people a sense that um, uh, their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of it. And we're seeing it right now. Uh, Listen, as a white person, I will say nobody feels threatened. Nobody. We, We think, look at people, and we say Americans. Yes. Well, you think about this uh, professor, I believe she was given a lecture, a virtual lecture at Yale, and she talked about, you know, shooting white people in the head. I guess that's okay. That's not a problem. Oh, you want to hear that? Let's let's hear that. Well, this is not a problem. Maybe he should have been outraged by this. Cut 27. And his fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, daring their body, and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively gently. With a gun to my Like I did the world yeah, I don't know why I would take that wrong. But, you know, those white people are so paranoid. You see, I might have a problem with some of those statements because I'm so paranoid and worried about minorities coming into our country. 
Well, I hope that the Democrat Party and progressive socialist left keeps pushing this 1619 uh, project, this uh, critical race theory, and all of these other far-left ideals and the new Marxism, because in South Lake, Texas, uh, they had a 41 percent turnout for a municipal-level election uh, at, at the, this past May, uh, May the 1st. And uh, they took back uh, several city, uh, city council, not but school board seats, and they had a 70 to – 70 to 30 percent uh, was the margin of victory in South Lake, Texas, to defeat progressive socialists on their school board. So I'm happy. Let them continue to talk about these things. That's why we're winning mayoral races in McAllen, Texas. That's why we just won the mayoral race in Fort Worth, the mayoral race in Arlington, because people are sick and tired of these far left policies. Okay, here is more from President Obama on critical race theory. Cut 26. You would think, with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now, that you know, the Republican Party would uh, be engaged in a significant d- debate about uh, how are we going to deal with the economy and what are we going to do about climate change and what are we going to do about, lo and behold, the, the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. Who knew that that, <laughs> that was the threat to our republic? But those debates uh, uh, are powerful because they get at uh, what story do we tell about ourselves? Unbelievable. Uh, critical race theory. Who knew? He mocks. He laughs. He giggles. What is more important than what your kids are being taught, your grandkids Absolutely. are learning? Is he crazy? Does he think we're actually going to just laugh that off? Absolutely. And if you go back, and I'm going to be very forthright about this, if you go back and you will see quotes from Adolf Hitler, you will see quotes from Stalin, you will see quotes from Lenin that talks about controlling the children and therefore controlling the future generations. And that's exactly what progressivism, socialism, Marxism, communism, statism, whatever you want to call it, they want to go in, they want to infiltrate our schools, they want to indoctrinate our kids, not educate our kids. And where do you find the first mention of state control of education? It's an the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx. So this is Marxism first and foremost, and we will fight it. We will also be able to talk about the economy. We will also be able to talk about foreign policy, national security, but we're not going to let the progressive socialists left have our children. So, so one thing that I am also real about, I think there are things that have to be done uh, in minority communities. And I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. anybody's fault. But I definitely want to address it. I want to give kids an opportunity if that school is terrible and the teachers are underpaid and the place is falling apart and security is an issue and those kids can't learn. Maybe they don't have the best family. I don't want to give up on those kids. If that's their reality, I don't want to point fingers. I want to help. And maybe throwing money is not the answer. And Condoleezza Rice, I thought, just put it wonderfully, who grew up very similar to you. She said, I was eight years old before I went to a movie theater, allowed to go to a movie theater, 12 before I had a white classmate. Uh, she saw a lot of. Uh, she lived. Uh, grew up in the segregated South. Here's what she said: Can we finally agree that our uh, K-12 education system is really serving poor kids and and minority kids uh, very badly? Can we agree that uh, we actually have a choice system? Because if uh, you uh, are of means, you will move to a district where the schools are good. You will go. Uh, and by the way, the houses will be expensive. So that's a choice. You can send your kids to private schools. So those are choices. So who really doesn't have choice? Poor kids. So and he wants to she wants to give them a choice. And we have another cut from her when she talks about the problem she has with critical race theory. And 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 uh, she was they were trying on Face the Nation just to get her to comment and say, 
I, I guess, uh, flip-flop like Mitt Romney has, and she would not buy into it. Let's listen. Yeah. I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I was eight before my family could go to a movie theater or to a restaurant. I didn't have a white classmate until we moved to Denver when I was 12. So, yes, I know America's uh, troubled past. And that troubled past continues to have an impact uh, going forward on how we see each other. When I hear the talk about structural racism, it really gives me pause. And it gives me pause because it doesn't tell me what to do. And blames people. She was on to say it blames white people for everything and makes them uh, seem as though they should take the blame for it. Well, the whole thing that we need to be honest about is if you want to talk about structural racism, if you want to talk about systemic racism, if you want to talk about the, the policies thereof, those all came from the Democrat Party. And we are seeing right now the results, the residual effects of Lyndon Baines Johnson, his Great Society programs that decimated the black family, turned many of our uh, inner cities into 21st century economic plantations. We see a lack of economic opportunity, education opportunity. And one of the things that really upset me here with a Republican-controlled majority in the Texas State House and Texas State Senate, we couldn't get school choice passed. So Republicans need to get serious about this because there are young people in inner city communities like where I grew up, and I had two parents that made a choice for me. They did not send me to two failed public schools in my community, uh, John Hope and C.W. Hill. They sent me to Our Lady of Lewis Catholic School, located right across the street from Ebenezer Baptist Church in the final resting spot of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That had an incredible effect on me because it opened the doors of equality of opportunity yep. for me. So, yes, school choice is the preeminent civil rights issue right now for inner city kids that need a better opportunity and not the quality of outcomes, which is what the left is pushing. Absolutely. Uh, Colonel West, people just want a chance. That's why they're coming to our country for an opportunity. Don't ruin it. Uh, Colonel, good best of luck. Please let us know when you make a decision and hopefully here first. You will. All right. You will, man. All right. God bless. Go get him, Colonel. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Is it good to be back in New York City, or do you find yourself on a a friends and family tour? It was really a a really great feeling of flying this LaGuardia and then just taking the car right into the city. And Dr. Fauci, I realize we could not be related ever because I understand that um, throughout life you've had dinner at 9, 9.30 at night to keep the family together. <laughs> I mean, that is just crazy. I'd like to talk to you about that. We had dinner essentially every night together. That's great. And your family owned a pharmacy. Families that you delivered on your bike. I did, my Schwinn bike. Oh, I love a Schwinn. Those are some of the questions Anthony Fauci was asked, uh, the man in charge of the pandemic. Now, I know that Kelly and Ryan don't ask any hard questions, but I didn't think they'd be that easy. And I thought they'd have an opportunity to find themselves because both are smart 
and say, listen, there's been a lot of talk about how this started. Why are we so late to understand that this could have been uh, coming from a different place? And how, for example, would we have our reaction have changed had we known everything that the Chinese knew about this virus? How many more people could be alive today? Uh, when it comes to the vaccines, you could ask even a mild question is, what would you say to people in New York, the 30 percent that don't want to get it or whatever what have you? Uh, no questions like that. And I hearken back to, I remember daytime television, never the hardest hitting. But when you have Merck Griffin, he was on every day for, for a couple of decades, maybe more. He would, if he had the right guest on, he'd ask a real question. And he got a lot of big guests. Mike Douglas, same thing. He would ask hard questions when appropriate. Yeah, it was mostly an entertainment show. But the guy would have Richard Nixon on. The guy would have presidents on. And then he would be, become an interview. And I just thought they missed a huge opportunity there. What's worse is if they didn't care. If they were that out of the loop or so used to watching other channels that they didn't understand that the rest of America was wondering what the hell Anthony Fauci was telling us and what he actually thought, that he went to Europe and told us the Wuhan lab could have caused this leak. But when he was here in America, he said it came from a bad virus. Also told us masks didn't work and they may still not work. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined. Well, actually, we're going to join uh, Varney and Company on the Fox Business Channel. That's going to be great. In a matter of moments, we're going to be dealing with and uh, have an opportunity to talk to Ronald Neumann, uh, the president of American Academy of Diplomacy and was the U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan from 05 to 07. And he, like most of us who are following this, extremely concerned about our withdrawal while we're giving up 20 years of gains to give it to the Taliban, again, is beyond me. That's exactly what's taking place. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The problem that we face here isn't the WHO. It's not even really Dr. Fauci. The problem is the Chinese have engaged in a massive cover-up that is going ongoing until, this, until today, involving destroying samples, hiding records, placing a universal gag order on Chinese scientists. From fringe theory to accepted cause, that's how fast the lab leak theory has gone from marginalized Chinese conspiracy talk to likely cause of the deadly global pandemic. Why now and what took so long? We'll discuss it. Number two. The blow comes from West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin has become the new Mitch McConnell. Senator Manchin would rather preserve Jim Crow. We're talking about basically saving the country here, and I feel very sad for us and uh, annoyed with him, frankly. Manchin madness. Republicans praise him, Dems vilify him, but he might just be an American MVP. I'll explain and desperately try and get their lavish, as the Dems get desperate and try to get their lavish spending passed and massive voter restructuring through. Number one. We are going to the border. We've been to the border. So this whole, this whole, this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. And I haven't been to Europe. And I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. Oh, 
How could you not understand the point he's making? Another awkward interview with an awkward laugh as another nation blames Biden for the border crashing as VP Harris visits Guatemala and claims, quote, we have already been to the border. She blames climate change and women's rights for the breakdown out of our southern border and problems in Guatemala. What an embarrassment. So not many people, not enough people are talking about it, but we're pulling out of Afghanistan rapidly, way too rapidly. And behind us is the Taliban moving in. Influence will be gained by Russia as well as China, despite the 20 years of massive spending and training that has taken place. Ronald Noman knows all about it. The former ambassador to Afghanistan joins us now. Ambassador, thanks so much. Are you as concerned as I am about what we're leaving? Uh, I am concerned. I, I think we're moving too fast. I, I recognize, you know, there are a lot of voices on both sides of whether one should leave or go. But uh, we're, we're leaving in ways that I think are unnecessarily risky. Uh, morale is a big factor. The Afghans, you know, we've promised. We have promised in President Biden's speech that we will continue military support even without troops but we need to show that that's real and that it's something the afghans can count on and we got to be able to service some of their equipment right and be able to update it through oh, the technology absolutely. we've given or just maintain it yeah i mean even our own forces use contractors to maintain our high-tech you know equipment we don't fly all together without contractors contractors evidently are willing to stay in many cases should we let them uh you know, I personally would let people make their own decisions about whether they take risks or not. There will be more risks uh, staying without the U.S. military around. But, uh, yes, I would let people make their own decisions. But the fact is they can make their own decisions, but they can't pay for it. And our Afghan government can't pay for it. So it's a question of whether we will allow our money to be used to pay for contractors to remain in country. Well, not if the Taliban take over Kabul. Uh, what are the chances of that? I think this depends on the Afghan forces and their morale. The army is big enough, and the Taliban are going to launch attacks against cities. They've shown that uh, they're surrounding a number of them. They're poised for that. The Afghan army is big enough that it could fight those off. Uh, and if they don't, if they collapse, it's going to be because of morale. It's not just going to be because of equipment. These are defensive battles that uh, people have fought with much less equipment than they've got. But if they're not sure of their back, uh, and they're also not sure of political power in Kabul, where, frankly, the Afghan political leaders keep fussing with each other, then they they come apart. So the, the big issue for us right now, having decided to pull troops out, is will we make it clear that we've got their back in terms of continuing the funding, the support, these things, uh, to help keep up that morale that they need and the confidence they need to do what they need to do. You think we should? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got a lot of gains. You, you can argue both ways about whether the terrorism threat is there or not there. I, mean, I would have preferred to stay. But in any event, you've got a whole generation that's grown up in 20 years that has accepted things like a free press and judiciary and democratic elections and wants them. Uh, and that whole generation is going to be at risk. Those are the people that are being assassinated daily, at least weekly, in the streets of Kabul. Uh, I think we should at least do what we can to give them a chance, the best chance possible to fight. 
Uh, Ambassador, do you? Uh, some people say, well, the Taliban, they've learned their lesson. They're not going to be as uh, fundamentalists, as, as fundamental. They're going to understand that women do have rights after 20 years. Uh, I, I'm hearing more that that is not true. What are you hearing? Well, there's a certain amount of research that's been done about how the Taliban act in areas which they already control. Ashley Jackson, several others have done that kind of research. And what you see is there is some change, but not very much. Um, you know, there, there are areas where women's girls' schools are still open, probably up to grade six. They're, I don't think they're anywhere they're open beyond that. And there are areas where they're policing the education and the clinics and making sure that the doctors are there. But beyond that, no, I, I don't see that. Right. Um, could be a little, but uh, certainly, certainly they have not changed in their attitude toward a free press uh, since they're busily assassinating journalists. Ambassador Ronald Newman's with us now. Uh, he's got a, a rich history in the area, speaks fluent Arabic, and we're just talking about Afghanistan. If uh, I want you to hear what Anthony Blinken said as Secretary of State. If there is a significant deterioration uh, in security, um, that could well happen. We've discussed this uh, before. Um, I don't think it's going to be something that happens from a Friday to a Monday. Uh, so I wouldn't um, necessarily equate the departure of our forces uh, in July, August, or by early September with some kind of immediate uh, deterioration uh, in, the, uh, in the situation. So uh, basically, uh, he's prepared for it, but doesn't expect it's going to happen right away. It does not need to happen right away. The Afghan army is large. There are a lot of Afghans that don't like the Taliban and don't want them. Uh, on the other hand, if you don't want that deterioration to happen quickly, then what we should be doing is to make clear that our words about continuing support are going to be backed up by our actions. And that's where I see a lack. It may well be that we actually intend to do this, and we're having a lot of trouble, I say we, government's having a lot of trouble figuring out how to carry out these plans because there was no planning before the announcement. These things are really tough. Uh, but they need to speak. The people need to see actions in order to believe our words. Why would we ever give up a base? Just step back from it uh, for a second. It is right between China and Russia. The intelligence we're able to get, what we're able to understand by being on the ground, is such a benefit to uh, our military, to our intelligence, to our knowledge and uh, credibility in the area, don't you think? Well, I don't know that that was a major function of any of our bases, including Bagram. Uh, also, we never claimed that we wanted to stay. I mean, we have said for 20 years that we would not stay if there were peace. So I, I would be a little bit reluctant to say we should just break our 20 years word under multiple administrations, including President, first, uh, President George W. Bush. There's no peace. And, uh, no, I, I would not say we should be pulling out now. But your question was, would we want to keep it? I understood it to be, would we yeah. want to keep it long term? And I would say not if there were peace. But up until mm -hmm. then, I would have preferred that uh, we stayed for a lot of reasons. Who gains when we leave besides the Taliban? Uh, well, Pakistan, that, uh, well, Pakistan wanted us out, but they wanted us out in an orderly way. And this isn't looking very orderly. Um, Russia gains. Uh, Iran may gain, although Iran has mixed feelings. They 
actually have been fairly cooperative while we've been in Afghanistan, quite different. I, I spent 16 months in Iraq where the Iranians were funneling in equipment and blowing up our people, and they were quite different in Afghanistan. Uh, they're quite nervous about the Taliban. They're already helping to arm other people to fight the Taliban. Uh, you know, there's an argument that the U.S. military gains more freedom to go after terrorists elsewhere. I think that's a debatable argument. We were down to 25, 3,500 troops in Afghanistan, which is not a huge strain. And lastly, Ambassador, where did the CIA, there was a big story on Sunday, the CIA doesn't know where to go. They say, well, you know, they got this power military arm. They want to be stationed somewhere. They do want to be able to get intelligence out of the area. If they go to Pakistan, Pakistan's putting all these type of limitations on what they can do and can't do. Where does the CIA go? Just leaves? Um, as a British friend used to say to me, that's a four-molar suck. Uh, and, I mean, there is no good place that they're going to go. And uh, Pakistan... That's a really dubious place. I mean, Pakistan has been helpful in going after al-Qaeda, but they have always been a supporter of the Taliban, even though the Taliban remains closely associated with al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And if you put the CIA base in Pakistan, you will give, quite apart from the strings you mentioned, you give the Pakistanis a lot of control. It's something they can leverage to get other things they want giving permission, taking permission away. And it, it's really like going to the door of the hostage taker and asking, can you take me in and have another hostage? Understood. Uh, thanks so much. Ambassador Ronald Newman will be ever watching this closely and hoping for a good outcome, but I'm not optimistic. Thanks so much. Happy to be with you. Thank All you. All right. Great. one 408 When we come back, I'll take your calls. Bottom of the hour. Uh, actually, I'll be able to, for two blocks to open up the phones, but I get more information. I do want to talk about this, uh, expand on what Kamala Harris has to her interview with the Today Show. I'm watching her entire. She's now in Mexico, and she is screwing up royally. Her responses are just so minor league. What is she thinking? And then we have the Mansion Madness, which I haven't really touched on heavily, but you're not going to believe the backlashes he's getting. Do Democrats know? If they keep pushing on Manchin, he represents an extremely red state. He could flip and flip the Senate in one breath. It's been done before by Jim Jeffords during the Bush years. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Republican Party has launched an unprecedented war on American democracy in which, shamefully, they are now being aided and abetted by at least two Democratic senators. The blow comes from West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. That could sink the move to override Republican state laws that limit voting access. Joe Manchin has become the new Mitch McConnell. Senator Manchin would rather preserve Jim Crow. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin has wittingly or unwittingly ushered in an official death sentence for most of the Biden agenda. We're talking about basically saving the country here, and I feel very sad for us and uh, annoyed with him, frankly. That is a, a little bit of the, the outrage on the left because Joe Manchin, who's on the left, a moderate, uh, he says, I will not vote for this voting, uh, this H.R. 1. He wrote an editorial on it. 
pretty dug in there. He says, I'm not going to go for the infrastructure package on simple reconciliation. You don't have my votes. It's just too much money. I don't want to raise taxes on the corporate side to 28% and other side, including the upper bracket, I believe to 39%. He does not want to do it. He thinks it's too much, and there's too much there that doesn't contain anything to do with infrastructure. He's working on a parallel path. Instead of respecting a moderate... Uh, Like they want the left to respect the left, who is just unhinged and anti-American in so many ways. They're trying to kill him. Listen to Congressman James Clyburn. Cut 10. You've got to decide whether or not members of Congress are going to stand up. If we're not careful, this, the greatest democracy on the face of the earth, will go the way of the Roman Empire. The history is very clear. Roman Empire. We're going to collapse like the Roman Empire if Joe Manchin doesn't vote vote for H.R. 1 that will legalize harvest voting, encourage statehood for Washington, D.C. Shouldn't be a state. Constitutionally, it's not supposed to be a state. Restores voting rights for convicted felons. Thank goodness. Expands mail-in voting. That means everyone's instantly eligible. Allows voters to substitute a photo ID with a sworn written statement. That always works. Implements mandatory automatic voter registration nationwide. There's a reason why 50 states do it differently. Oregon, you mail in. And we know about all the challenges with Florida. A lot of mail-in votes, they're done on Election Day. We certainly know about the delays uh, that take place in Georgia. They took forever for them to count in Arizona. Sadly, Texas gets it down. Everyone does it different. He does not want to change the complexion of Congress. And now he's going to collapse our country like the Roman Empire collapsed? Did they have a Joe Manchin then? Incredible. I want you to hear what Joe Manchin said, though. Joe Manchin's kind of reasonable when it comes to this election bill, cut nine. I think there's a lot of great things. I agree in that piece of legislation. But there's an awful lot of things that basically don't pertain directly to voting. I think it's the wrong piece of legislation to bring our country together and unite our country. And I'm not supporting that because I think it will divide us further. I don't want to be in a country that's divided any further than I'm in right now. I love my country. And I think my Democrat and Republican colleagues feel the same. If we continue to divide it and separate us more, it's not going to be united. And it's not going to be the country that we love and know. And it's going to be hard because it'll be back and forth no matter who's in power. And that's why I've been protecting so that brings- the process. And by the way, Chris Wallace really was pushing to friend the blow up the filibuster. He wants him to blow up the filibuster. Everybody else does. But that's not the way the country's supposed to be run. If you want to further divide the country, make it a simple majority. We'll get all these crazy pieces of legislation. We'll take down the fence, perhaps. Who knows? Uh, we'll be able to get uh, all this redistribution of wealth to be able to raise taxes on just about everyone. All the stuff that doesn't work, his ridiculous budget at $6 trillion that should never pass, never should have put a pen to paper. It's not feasible. It's it's not feasible. It's not plausible. What I think is good, and I think Republicans are under pressure here to a degree. See, if you do, if you want to make Joe Manchin look terrible, don't sincerely, sincerely negotiate on infrastructure. This is a no-brainer. HR one can't go, but on infrastructure, there's a deal there. They're working on a parallel path on an 800 to 900 billion dollar package with Republicans, and I think that there's a lot of overlap there. Everyone's, you know, Susan Page on down uh, from to Stephen Hayes yesterday. Nobody thinks that they're going to get a deal to Chris Wallace. Nobody thinks they're going to get a deal. If they don't get a deal, make it because Democrats won't give. 
Not because Republicans won't deal. Because then all the pressure will be on Manchin and he'll have nothing to go back on. Say, hey, Joe, you try to be bipartisan, they don't want to play ball. And then they'll have to vote this way. That's where the pressure is on Republicans. Be sincere, be diligent on infrastructure. The voting rights thing and 900 pages, nationalized election, don't go there. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the concept of pre-adaption. So in all previous uh, zoonotic infections where they come from nature, nature gives us a break. It jumps to humans, but then human-to-human transmission can't be sustained, and that's a month-to-year process. Here, not only did the first patient get infected and very sick, they were able to transmit it human-to-human. That's never been seen before, and it, it comes about by training the virus in the laboratory in either humanized mice or human cell lines. Does that concern you at all? That's Stephen Kwai. Uh, he is one of the people that wrote that editorial in the Wall Street Journal talking about the evidence is pretty strong that the lab leak theory is true and actually happened. And it was no bat virus because it turns out that I don't think there were any bats in that wet market. I've never been to a wet market. Won't go. Don't eat bat. But those are the combination of things that would make it almost impossible, wouldn't it? Unless you're Anthony Fauci and you sign off on it right away and then sneak secretly to Europe without telling anyone and brief everyone that this could have indeed been the case. But that made big news yesterday. And then another editorial today backs that up further. So Stephen Kwai on that. Uh, When you look at all the evidence that's mounting, you wonder, why was it so marginalized or your Facebook page frozen if you were to retweet that or you would talk about that theory? Does that bother you? It absolutely bothers me, the way the Chinese lie and the way social media went out of their way to do it. Jamie Metzl weighed in yesterday on America's Newsroom. He came to us. We were one of the first outlets that he started talking to. Cut 15. The problem that we face here isn't the WHO. It's not even really Dr. Fauci. The problem is that Chinese have engaged in a massive cover-up that uh, is going on, going until this, until today, involving destroying samples, hiding records, placing a universal gag order on Chinese scientists, and imprisoning Chinese citizen journalists asking the most basic questions. That's what we need to to get around. Right. Even the Secretary of State is weighing in. I won't bore you with that. What did Dr. Fauci supervise and allocate to this lab? That's the big picture. I don't want to get into the genomes. That's not our area. And scientists don't listen to the show of, to get details on science from me. And I don't think it clarifies everything. We just want to talk about the likelihood of something being generated intentionally or unintentionally from that lab and what role we played in doing it. And the fact is... To make it clear, the Chinese have no interest in backing off continuing this research. So they're going to continue this dangerous research. They don't care what the world thinks. They have yet to be candid. And when Condoleezza Rice weighed in on this, she said, listen, what's happening now happened when I was in office. Cut 18. Well, the first thing is to recognize uh, that there was too much um, of a tendency early on to dismiss this possibility of uh, a laboratory leak. And um, I think there was a lot, and I think the press bears some responsibility for this. 
uh, well, it had to be um, animal-to-human transmission. These were conspiracy theories about a laboratory leak. And in fact, uh, some of the evidence was right in front of our faces. I think we made a mistake uh, earlier on in, um, in many, many people, many officials dismissed this possibility. Yeah. And, you know, she doesn't want to get involved in politics. I understand it. But she also understands when there's no politics and there's just pandemics, death and destruction at stake, it's okay to weigh in. And, I, and I've and i been playing a lot of her comments about race, but this matters a lot, too. So there's this other character you keep hearing about is Peter Daszak. Now, Peter Daszak is the American representative who knows all about the Wuhan lab. He's all about it. You see him all over the Anthony Fauci emails who he praises Anthony Fauci for knocking down all these, he said, fringe theories, uh, unsubstantiated fringe theories about the Wuhan lab leak causing the pandemic that killed 600,000 Americans and millions around the globe and still has destroyed the global economy. And many, we're recovering, Israel's recovering, the UK slowly recovering, the EU slower recovery, the China's back up. But still, the devastation's unquantifiable. They might be canceling the Olympics again. So you keep on hearing the name Peter Daszak. He's getting all this credibility. Now that you know what we know and have read these editorials or have the overview of these editorials from these esteemed scientists who believe there's something to the Wuhan leak theory, now listen to this other esteemed scientist who's got everything to lose if the gain of function proved yielded this horrendous pandemic. Listen to how he tries to talk Leslie Stoll into believing that the Chinese are being candid. Cut 14. We met with them. We said, do you audit the lab? And they said, annually. Did you audit it after the outbreak? Yes. Was anything found? No. Do you test your staff? Yes. No but you're one was... just taking their word for it. Well, what else can we do? There's a limit to what you can do. And we went right up to that limit. We asked them tough questions. They weren't vetted in advance. And the answers they gave, we found to be um, believable, um, correct and convincing. But weren't the Chinese engaged in a cover-up? They destroyed evidence. They punished scientists who were trying to give evidence on this very question of the origin. Well, that wasn't our task, to find out if China had covered up the origin issue. No, no, I know. Issue. I'm just saying, doesn't that make you wonder? We didn't see any evidence of any um, false reporting or cover-up in the work that we did in China. Were there Chinese government minders in the room every time you were asking questions? There were Ministry of Foreign Affairs staff in the room throughout our stay. Absolutely. They were there to make sure everything went smoothly from the China side. Or to make sure they weren't telling you the whole truth and nothing but you, the truth. You sit in a room with people who are scientists and you know what a scientific statement is and you know what a political statement is. Uh, we had no problem distinguishing between the two. So that's why he says there's no lab leak, because they told him there wasn't, and because he's a scientist, he could distinguish between what they're saying and not saying and understand if they're being candid or not candid? Do you know if they say maybe something that makes the Chinese look bad, they'll be dead, like the guy that tried to be a whistleblower end up dying from the coronavirus? Do you understand that there's a story out there that they had a vaccine ready to go in February? February? It matters. So... Having said all that, when it was time for Anthony Fauci to sit down for an interview, first they walk him through Harlem to show people how what it's like to get a vaccine wearing masks. Nice enticement to get a vaccine. I'm still wearing a mask. Do we understand that? 
and I don't really blame Kelly and uh, and Ryan Seacrest for this. They got the number one syndicated show, even though the ratings are extremely low. No one watches syndicated television anymore. They're still the top show. And they get to sit down with Anthony Fauci and Jill Biden. And the questions are nauseating. Cut 17. Is it good to be back in New York City, or do you find yourself on a, a friends and family tour? It was really a, a really great feeling of flying into LaGuardia and then just taking the car right into the city. And Dr. Fauci, I realize we could not be related ever because I understand that um, throughout life you've had dinner at 9, 9.30 at night to keep the family together. <laughs> I mean, that is just crazy. I'd like to talk to you about that. We had dinner essentially every night together. That's great. And your family owned a pharmacy. Families that you delivered on your bike. I did, my Schwinn bike. Oh, I love a Schwinn. I love a Schwinn. So disappointing. Miranda Devine, who's writing a book about everything that went on with the emails with Hunter Biden, which is another question, has been all over the Anthony Fauci and the hypocrisy and the cle- and the easy ride he gets from all members of the press. I hope that changes. Cut 22. He was sainted because he was sort of the anti-Trump, and he let it be known behind the scenes that he was right. just as appalled by Donald Trump as they were. He's a Washington bureaucrat. He has flipped and flopped. It's really shocking uh, and two-faced to find out that he was telling people overseas that he thought the lab leak theory was plausible while at home he was really poo-pooing it and downplaying it. But it is just par for the course with Anthony Fauci. He's basically lied his way through the pandemic. He's admitted on at least two occasions that he did tell lies, but he justifies it because he says they were for the public good. Clean, smooth ride. I still say by the time his book comes out in November, he'll be disgraced. Kevin, listening in North Carolina. Hey, Kevin. All right. Brian, are you there? Yep. What's on your mind, Kevin? Oh, well, I think we can all come to the conclusion that it did come from the lab. What we have to decide now is, was it an accidental release or was it deployed? Now, we can't prove either way. And if we take the assumption that it was deployed, we're in a bad situation. Well, the president, the former president, threw out a number, $10 trillion they would owe us. And imagine Australia, how they've suffered, how Europe has suffered, the U.K., India has suffered. Japan might lose the Olympics again. They're starting to have another wave there. Um, Africa is getting hit now. You know what they would owe the world? Not so much that it happened, but what they did after it happened, if it was by accident, and if they did it on purpose, uh, their evil intentions go beyond comprehension. Remember, they've already gained. They're gaining marketplace. They steamrolled Hong Kong. They arrested all those freedom fighters. They're threatening Taiwan again because the world is distracted. So they are benefiting. I laugh when Anthony Fauci said they hurt themselves. They would never try to kill themselves. They don't care about human life. If you saw what they did to the Muslims, the Uyghurs, they don't care about Muslim life. If you saw what they did to the doctor, do you think they care about human life? They don't. They care about world dominance. Hey, when we come back, I join Varney and company, and then I'll squeeze in some calls on the back end. I'll be talking about uh, paying ransom to those hackers and the Texas governor signing a bill to ban vaccine passports. Big show. Don't move. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, in a matter of moments, uh, we're going to go on Stuart Varney at FBN, the fastest growing show, uh, fastest growing network uh, in the country, cable, new news network. We also see a couple of things going on uh, that we're talking about. The Colonial Pipeline CEO is testifying in front of Congress, and we're going to be talking about this, about the cyber attack and what they should have known ahead of time and how they prepared. So let's listen into FBN. Appear on the screen, and here we go. There is Brian Kilmeade. It's eleven. It's ten fifty-one. Brian, I got to talk about this Bitcoin money that we got back from the pipeline ransom. This is terrific news. We got them on the run to some degree because Bitcoin is no longer ultra private, ultra secret, ultra secure. I think this is flat out good news. What Listen, say you? I- I'm happy. I, I want these pirates, uh, these outlaws, to pay just because yeah. they maybe uh, aren't wearing masks over their head and coming out with bags of cash. It doesn't mean they're not as diabolical. It doesn't mean they're not as evil. They need to be taught a lesson. They're messing with the world's number one superpower, and they feel as though they're never going to have hell to pay. They got to pay for it. They got to be hauled into a world court or our court, and they got to be taken right out of Russia. And Russia's got to be held responsible. So we got to get that ransom back. But I got to ask you something, Stuart, because you always uh, you always see eye to eye with the common person, the family out there. Who's going to pay back those people in Virginia who are paying $7 for gas? Who's going to yep. pay back the—I'm the, well, yep. paying three seventy-five now. They haven't gone down since they went up last week. Who's going to do that? Agreed. Also, the meat prices from no. last week. These people, this colonial pipeline, Look, have to get their own defenses up. You inflict pain on us— and we will inflict serious pain on you. We cannot have the United States of America held to ransom by crypto criminals. We should really put some harm on them. You with me? I am 100% with you. And I'm going to say this. If you are a private entity that has national security implications with the product that you have, whether it's oil or meat, if I have to open up a small restaurant, Stuart, I have to have the uh, – there's going to be people coming in, checking on uh, the, the way my sanitary methods are going to make sure I'm paying taxes. i got to go pay rent. There are certain things I had to do for the pandemic. Don't complain. If you are going to be running a pipeline and can make billions of dollars and hire, hire thousands of people, then you have to have certain cyber uh, – a punch card with certain cyber things that you have to hit. And there's different companies out there that will protect you. And then in turn, if you do these things, the U.S. government can fight for you. Know exactly where that hit came from. Know exactly where to do. We'll be able to get intel from the meat companies and the pipelines to make sure our power grid's not next. This is a 911 call to our country and to other Western countries that we're not going to pay that ransom anymore. And they paid that ransom without even telling the government that's got to stop. Got it, got it. I'm with you 100% on this. Now, this is possibly the soundbite of the day. Vice President Harris really flustered when asked about actually going to the border herself. Watch this again, please. Roll tape. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. 
So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Brian, wh th this is embarrassing. What's with the laughing? She you know what you remind you of? Candidate Kamala Harris. She doesn't prepare for anything. She has no idea what's coming. Who is briefing her? By the way, if you can't answer that question without giggling, uh, I don't think you should have that job. The word is President Biden and vi the vice president don't get along, period. And she was never the pick. They just had no choice. And you just see how incompetent he is. Stuart, you're the president of the United States. You told Mike Pence, go get a pandemic response coordinated. He did it. Whatever needed to be done, he did. Whatever Joe, whatever Barack Obama wanted done, Joe Biden tried, including that job. She's done nothing. She has made one visit to one country three months after she got the charge. And now she's going to another country. She never leaves the embassy. And she doesn't even know the issue. What she's doing is playing political calculus. The word is her political handlers told her, don't appear at the border because we can't fix it. And then yeah. you're going to get blamed. If you are a politician and you are a problem solver and you care about this country, give me the hardest job. I want, I don't believe I'll fail. I'll do everything that makes sure I'm successful. But you don't take the job afraid to fail. What about us, the 170,000 people that are crossing into our country and we're capturing, let alone the ones we don't, a month for the last yeah. five months. She's responsible for that. She said, I don't want to show up there just to see it. Really? Why don't you go up there, wear a jean shirt, put on a jeans jacket, hop into a pickup truck and buzz around and see where the wall stopped and the roads yeah. need to be fixed and the technology needs to be improved. Talk just, to the people. Talk to the citizens. Just, it doesn't have to be a cameo appearance. Don't hold your breath, Brian. And I don't think the vice president was expecting any kind of questioning like that from Lester Holt at NBC. Brian, I'm out of time. Great stuff today. Thanks Thank, for being with us. Thanks to for having it. me. Appreciate it. Come one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine, and I, I let you. I, I let you play even more of it. I listened to the five minutes they released. I guess they're going to have more. She doesn't know the issues. She doesn't know the issues. When politicians sometimes are hesitant because they could say the wrong thing. Uh, it's almost, you know, and Barack Obama was like that, too. It was halting and slow and boring because he was afraid of saying the wrong thing. But he knew the answer. She doesn't know the answer. She know what the true answer is. I don't want to be politically liable for that chaos at the border. I don't want to be seen uh, in one of those soft-sided facilities called tents in other languages uh, where I'm hugging a kid from Guatemala who came here without a parent. And I stuck in the same type of facilities with barriers that Donald Trump put them in because we have nowhere to put them because we have our own kids that need housing and sponsors now that will take them on. They're responsible for so much chaos at the border, and they're going to pay for it in the border states. And if they don't watch it, they're going to lose Mark Kelly's Senate seat in Arizona because these people are outraged and being abused. Go to BrianKillmeadShow.com, order the podcast, or anywhere you get podcasts, and BrianKillmead.com, order any of my books. I can personalize them and send them for Father's Day. Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers, selling well. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Waiting on deck, Governor Mike Huckabee. Uh, Carol Markowitz at the bottom of the hour. She takes on Anthony Fauci and tells him the question he should have been asked. She's also a mom in New York City. Forced to tell their kids, even though the pandemic is in epic low, we still have to tell the kids to wear masks. And this idiot governor who said uh, it's up to you on Friday to whether your school district wears masks or not, has reversed himself and says, now everybody's got to wear a mask again. If you don't think this is traumatic for these kids who have not seen the faces, a fourth grader has not seen the face of another fourth grader in about a year and a half outside school, you don't think there would be a great way to finish with a flourish in June in New York? I know some, some schools around the country listening have already stopped going to school. Well, you could finish strong in June, two weeks going back to normal, getting rid of the plexiglass, but they've reversed everything. Carol Markwitz on that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I also think that there are certain right-wing media venues, for example, that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment and do everything they can to give people a sense that their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. Yeah, there it is. Uh, President Obama weighing in on critical race theory and, of course, mischaracterizing it. Talking race, President Obama weighs in, mocking those concerned about it. Uh, We'll talk about how it affects our schools and the backlash around the country. Number two. The blow comes from West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin has become the new Mitch McConnell. Senator Manchin would rather preserve Jim Crow. We're talking about basically saving the country here, and I feel very sad for us and uh, annoyed with him, frankly. Wow, you don't want to get Joy Behar upset. Manchin madness. Republicans praise him, Dem vilify him, but he might just be an American MVP. We'll discuss. Number one. We are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. Uh, please tell me you're kidding when you say you don't understand the point you're making. And it's always good uh, to hear Kamala Harris laugh at him for no reason. Another awkward interview with an awkward laugh as another one, another nation blames Biden for the border crashing as VP Harris visits Guatemala and claims, quote, we have already been to the border, but you have not. She is such an embarrassment. She also brings up climate change and women's rights. Fantastic. Talk about getting to the heart of the issue. Governor Mike Huckabee joins us now. Governor, I don't know. You probably heard uh, you don't watch uh, a lot of the Today Show, I hope, but you probably heard Kamala Harris respond to that question about the border. You thought? Yeah, yeah, cackling uh, Kamala Harris once again just proves how completely ridiculous it was for Joe Biden to put her in charge of the southern border. I mean, he might as well have put her in charge of Antarctica. She hadn't been there either. Here's what I find interesting. I think she should go ahead and say that she's going to go with Jeff Bezos in his space flight this summer because she hadn't been there either. Let's go ahead and put them all together. The fact that it's been now 76-plus days, she's not visited the border, has not talked to one single Border Patrol agent to find out what's happening. She'll go to Guatemala and pretty much get rebuked by the president of Guatemala for the fact that the policies of the Joe Biden administration 
are, are creating chaos, not just on our side of the border, but on the southern side as well. And her response to it all is to laugh out loud. Well, Brian, what's happening to those little kids down on the border, there's nothing funny about it. You know, they did show, I watched the five minutes they aired, I guess they're going to have a whole half hour. They did show the kids being dropped over the wall. And they did show the horrific video of the kid crying in the the, the middle of the field. And, you know, there was one horrible uh, image during the Trump years of this little girl crying as their, uh, looks like their parent or their guardian was being detained or, or questioned. And she looked like she was helpless. They were separating parents and kids. Do you know how many more, uh, Video images we have that has happened over the last four months that are worse than anything that happened in the Trump years. And they seem to be getting a pass. But I'm heartened, Governor, because the elections and the sentiment and the Hispanic community specifically don't seem to be buying this uh, this idea about illegal immigration. I think uh, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden and the Democrats are taking Americans for chumps. And they just don't think that people pay attention or they can see through what's going on. The fact that we have so many thousands, an unprecedented number of people crossing the border illegally. And it's not because uh, we're mean people that folks are saying, wait, we've got to stop this. It's because you've got to have some control, not just for the sake of our country, because we're going to be overwhelmed with the cost of health care and education. It's for the safety and the well-being of those kids who are whose parents rather are paying thirteen, fifteen, seventeen thousand uh, dollars to coyotes and cartels to get them across the border because they want them to have a better life. I understand that, but the way to do it is not the way to uh, drop people across our fences and and in open spaces and just leave them there to themselves. That's cruel. It's horrible, and we're a better country than that. Yeah, I want you to hear this whole exchange. Cut one. We are going to the border. We've been to the border. So this whole, this, whole, this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, mean, I, don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Well, I, I mentioned it because I, you've been, I, I know Republicans have certainly come at you on this. But Democratic Congressman Cuellar as a border district has said to the, you and the president, come. You need, I care you need about, to see this. Listen, I care about what's happening at the border. I'm in Guatemala because my focus is dealing with the root causes of migration. Right. There's over 100 countries represented at the border, but I'm in Guatemala for three months after giving the, uh, giving the job of settling down things at the border. I mean, I've never seen such, such laziness and incompetence. Well, and Brian, if she would go to the border, something she has yet to do, she would understand that this is not uh, a crisis that is only affecting people coming from three countries. This is not just that northern triangle that she talked about. As you just mentioned, over 100 countries are represented in the people who are coming across the border because they realize if you want to come to the U.S., forget about going through uh, the immigration process at Kennedy Airport or one of the ports. Ah, Forget that. That's cumbersome and you might not get through. Walk across on the southern border at the Rio Grande and welcome to America. Here's your voter registration card so you can vote for Democrats. Hey, Governor, do you think there's uh, on the note that's tangential to this? Do you see it in numbers or do you have a feeling in your gut that there's a real concern among Democrats about the Hispanic vote after the last one? And I believe that's the reason why Cesar Chavez's bust is behind Joe Biden and all the shots. 
because they made real gains, especially in Texas, and that mayor race that just went uh, the Hillary Clinton uh, took that uh, that district and Donald Trump uh, was beaten twice there. Now it went to a Republican. Do you think something's happening? No doubt about it, Brian. And I'll tell you what's happening, because I'm convinced a lot of the Democrats are elitist snobs who never get out and rub shoulders with people who actually live in Hispanic communities. Because if they did, they would understand something. The Hispanic people in this country are some of the hardest working Americans we have. They're people who take great pride in their being Americans, and they know what it took for them to get here. They are far more resentful of illegal immigration than most of the rest of us who have several generations of American citizenship because they know how hard it was for them to get here and how hard they worked once they came. They're entrepreneurial, and I'll tell you what else. They're very conservative when it comes to many of the social issues, like the sanctity of human life, traditional marriage. Uh, They are a tightly knit group of people who have great sense of pride in their families, uh, a sense of entrepreneurial activity, hard work, and a commitment to their families. And the Democrats right now are not representing that in their policies by radical abortion policies, a rejection of traditional sense of uh, male and female, and they're losing Hispanic votes, and it's not just immigration that's causing it. Right now, the vice president is meeting with the president of Mexico, and they're going to do a, I don't know what they're signing, but something. And, you know, believe it or not, uh, the president of Mexico and the president of the United States, even though he's a socialist, got along with President Trump famously. They got the Remain in Mexico policy together. He was the one of the last world leaders, allies of ours, to acknowledge that, that Joe Biden won the election. And now he got rid of the Remain in Mexico and has made it clear that that President Biden is looked at as a, a migrant-friendly president. And the, and the president of Guatemala said the same thing. But I want to pivot, if I can, to this guy named Joe Manchin. He has decided that he wants 60 votes to pass legislation, not to blow up the filibuster. He has decided that H.R. 1 would hurt our, our country because it would change the way we do elections. And he also will not vote uh, for this infrastructure bill as is currently constituted. That prompted James Clyburn to say this. Cut 10. You've got to decide whether or not members of Congress are going to stand up. If we're not careful, this, the greatest democracy on the face of the earth will go the way of the Roman Empire. The history is very clear. So do you believe that Joe Manchin will cause the collapse of the American Empire, like the Roman Empire? Brian, he may save it. The fact is, our country was designed and developed so that the minority would be heard and would participate in the outcome of Uh, decisions being made that would affect the entire population. That's why we have a filibuster. It's why we have uh, the laws that we have. It's it's why, historically, we have always made sure that the voices and the votes of the minority are not simply wiped off the table and we don't have an autocracy. What James Clyburn is actually pushing for is a uh, one-type government that just rolls over people and forgets about the folks that might disagree. Good governing is about getting people to the table, sitting down, giving something to get something. That's how you govern. I had a legislature, Brian, that was 90 percent Democrat. Uh, I didn't get to run over them, but I worked with them. We got things done. That's what you do when you actually govern. Joe Biden won't even sit down and meet with Republicans, much less listen to them. And I've often said one of the greatest maybe the lessons we all should learn 
is the lesson from those great political scientists, the Rolling Stones, who said you can't always get what you want. And that's a fundamental truth of politics. You don't get everything. And if you have the attitude, I'm going to get everything, I'm going to get it all the time, you're going to get nothing, and you're going to get that forever. But Republicans got to learn that, too. And I I will say Joe Biden is meeting with Senator Capito. And I do think Republicans have this. And you tell me if you think I'm wrong. You're the one with all the experience in politics, direct experience. I think the Republicans have to sincerely negotiate an infrastructure because then Joe, Joe Manchin has no cover. If, we, if Mitch McConnell makes uh, idiotic statements like, I am not going to qual- – I'm here to, to blow up the Joe Biden agenda, which is not politically savvy, even if you hope that Joe Biden accomplishes nothing, if you don't tr- do your job, he looks like the hero. He made that mistake with Barack Obama. They used him to get reelected. Don't you see a problem if the Republicans just sit on the sideline? Oh, absolutely. Look, Republicans are the champions of infrastructure. Let me put it this way. Republicans like to build stuff. Democrats like to save, uh, spend money. So with an infrastructure program, everybody gets what they want. Republicans get to build stuff. Democrats get to yeah. spend money. He is focusing on building stuff that matters and doing real infrastructure rather than a bunch of nonsense like extra helpings of macaroni and cheese for six-year-olds and calling that infrastructure. Yeah, school lunch program, elder care and preschool, it's human infrastructure that we're not that stupid. This just happened on CNN. Joe Manchin just met with a group of Democrats, the NAACP, I should say, and they were all Democrats. Uh, they just, they're trying to convince him to vote for H.R. 1. Mark Moriel just spoke. Let's listen to what he had to say. I haven't heard this yet either. Hundreds of pieces of legislation that have been introduced since January 6th. If you look at them in context, one would say, why would we even try to block access to voting, block access to people who want to register people to vote, block access to people who want to support people with food and water when there are long lines uh, in warm climates? A lot of time we spent is to make sure that Joe Manchin understood that uh, those types of bills are Jim Crowish. Those types of bills are not democratic. Those types of bills we are committed to stopping in their tracks by any means peacefully that we can, if you will, by any peaceful means necessary. So he's inaccurately describing the Georgia law. He's inaccurately describing the Texas law and other laws that are put through forth through state legislatures. They are couching H.R. 1 as a counter to what's happening in these states that are reeling in their laws that were loosened up um, in many cases necessarily because of the pandemic. So your thought about Joe Manchin breaking? I hope he doesn't. I've known Joe a long time. We were governors together, and uh, he he is a good man. He has a good heart. I feel sorry for him often because— uh, he's really a Republican in a Democrat uh, suit, and he has to deep down know that what he believes about the Second Amendment and about life uh, is out of sort with his party. I wish he would not with his state. And, <laughs> well, and he's out of yeah, he's out of touch with the basic values of the people of West Virginia. Um, so I hope he sticks to it. But bigger, I would love to see some members of the press challenge guys like Mark Morial and ask him exactly what in these voting laws, like in Georgia, uh, suppresses a vote. Just tell us. And yeah. why are those laws more suppressive than in Delaware or Colorado? Because actually Georgia has far more uh, open voting laws than many of the other states that they don't ever say a word about. Governor, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Governor Mike Huckabee. Thank you.
Uh, and he's hosting Huckabee on Saturdays, 8 o'clock. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to take your calls, one 408 Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Let's go out to Steve listening on FM News Talk 97.1 in St. Louis. Hey, Steve. I got you. Go ahead, Steve. All right, let's try Bill. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Let's stick with Steve. Steve, you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. You want to talk about Harris at the border? Yes, at the southern border. I keep hearing everybody talk about uh, she's not going to the southern border because she's afraid of the optics of getting her picture taken down there and what it would actually look like. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at it as if she doesn't go to the southern border, that's putting the optics out to the opposition research or whatever you want to call it, saying, well, she's not showing up for a job that she's been put in charge of. How can that be a plus in her benefit uh, politically? I see. She, if you put your hands on something, you're responsible. If she's seen down there and there's people being dropped over walls, if you have the numbers that I reported, 170,000 people, they're going to go, Harris in charge of the wall. How did she fix it? Right now, she keeps saying, I'm going to the root of the problem. She's not even getting good meetings with these leaders. The Guatemalan president, the day before Dister, it's her policies, his policies that are putting us in this predicament. We knew the 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 uh, immigration system was solved uh, for now because of good policies that Trump put in place. And she could honestly say, well, you know, I was in charge. I had a good meeting with Guatemala. She can't even say that. I'm not sure this Mexican meeting went well either. But this is what I'm, I'm hearing, uh, Steve. I'm hearing she does not want to get labeled as somebody who is responsible for any losing program. She wants to keep a perfect baseball card so she could take this thing over in three years or in six years. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're going to modify the CDC guidance and allow schools to choose no mask outside for children. In other words, children wear masks in school inside. Uh, There is no mandate for masks outside. So he gave totally mixed signals. He said you can make your own decisions. He strongly says wear uh, masks inside. But Governor Cuomo, again, gives mixed signals, changes everything, threatens districts that don't go along with their brand new their brand new mandates that make no sense because the numbers are 
down. The teachers are vaccinated. It makes no sense for kids to be traumatized by mask wearing. They could have ended on a positive note, but more controversy. Carol Markowitz, I imagine as a mom and a columnist in the New York Post, you're getting used to this uh, mixed messaging and this these mandates by this out-of-touch governor. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yes, it's been you know, 15 months of chaos from this administration. And it was funny when when he was um, the hero of the pandemic, even then he was constantly reversing himself. And I, I wrote about it again and again, where one day, you know, at last in April 2020, he said that he was in charge of schools. Then in the summer, when it was time to actually get the schools open, he said he wasn't in charge of schools or he was going to defer to the individual districts. Then he closed schools because of a made up metric in the fall. Then he again said that he wasn't in charge in in. January. He just goes back and forth, whatever's easiest for him at the time. And that's where he is right now, where some schools saw the change in guidance for camps, which said you can kids can remove masks when they're six feet apart, and said, wait, we're six feet apart. Why can't we remove masks? And so the Cuomo administration has had to kind of clarify this, but of course they've just ended up making a bigger mess of it. Yeah, no question. And I know people are really angry in my town in Long Island because if Mondays mm-hmm. my daughter went to school without a mask. And she said it was so weird to go around. It was great. And people were so happy. And then last night they made this mandate. They threatened the the Board of Education. If you do not put those masks back on those kids, all types of ridiculous Cuomo-like threats. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate because – I think that for, there was no reason for kids to wear masks at all. Most of Europe was wearing masks 12 and up and not in schools. So we did things really backward here. We're the only country that started masking at two, which is an insanely young age. That's why when you see these videos of toddlers being dragged off of airplanes, they're all happening in America because we decided to follow a crazy path with this masking. And blue areas have obviously been the worst at this. Areas like New York, I'm not sure we're not going to be masking in September. And and we're already at such a low, low rate, and kids should have never been masked at all, and nobody should have ever masked outside. And now there's questions whether any of us should have ever masked at all. And yet, and Carol, can I stop you there? The yeah. What were your yeah. thoughts when you read these emails and you saw Anthony yeah. Fauci telling other experts masks don't work? Right. I, I just wish, you know, somebody like you could interview him and get the real questions, you know, asked, because the questions he's getting from the, the leftist media is, how are you so amazing? And we love you so much. Um, I would love to see somebody ask him, what changed? Because he keeps saying, oh, the science changed, and that's why we adjusted on masks. Fine, fine. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe the science did change. But can we get the answer of what exactly changed? Did the virus expand in size so that the masks could now contain it? What changed from Dr. Fauci's perspective other than the need to tell people to do something and the do something was masking? And we have the other side of it where the Chinese died, the Chinese scientists sold a science magazine. Yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. why the Americans aren't masking, where Anthony Fauci's not masking, and they were concerned about insulting Anthony Fauci. I, I go, yeah. wait a second, what's the issue? Do you think we should be wearing masks? <laughs> why wasn't Fauci thinking that? By the way, Carol, you and I don't do vir- virology on the side. We don't pretend right. to be experts. I always yeah. listen to my right. doctor. I'm not. So Same. when you do, he's 82. If he doesn't know yet if masks work, we're all doomed. Right. right. And I think he, his instincts were correct in the beginning where the virus is too small to be contained by medical masks, which is what he was referring to at the time. Not the really serious, um, you know, uh, masks, but the, the medical masks you get in the drugstore. And then we went to wearing cloth masks, which are even less 
uh, able to contain this tiny virus. So if somebody could ask him, what was the change that made that happened for you? And when you look at like the World Health Organization, for example, they didn't recommend masking for a long time. For a long time, they said the only people who should be wearing masks are those who are infected and those caring for those infected people. And this went on for a long time, and it seems like it was just social pressure that got to the World Health Organization and had them reverse on masking. So Governor Cuomo, under a series of investigations, I guess the federal authorities Mm -hmm. are are now researching about his book and using resources for his book. They're also was he using government workers to, you know, write this thing. And number two, they're also looking at did he give his uh, feds are looking into did he give his friends and family uh, special Mm -hmm. access to testing. And then yesterday we get this word that they are asking for public funds. The governor has to sign off on public funds in order to do investigation on impeachment of him. He's not going to sign off on that. It's ridiculous. Where are we at with these investigations? Do you know? Um, I don't. I, I don't know what will happen, but I think that because there are so many investigations, I have to have hope that one of them will lead to something, you know, effective against him. Um, he's been sort of slippery this whole time, but we've, we've known for a long time that he was doing things wrong. We knew he was really shady. We knew what he was doing with his brother was really unethical. Um, so I, I just have some hope that these investigations lead somewhere and aren't squashed by, you know, people on his own side. He's running for re-election. He's having a fundraiser in June. Right. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary because the media propped him up for so long that I could see him being re-elected. I, they sold the story of the great COVID hero governor. And despite the fact that New York had the highest death rate in the country, um, this is the message that was sent to people. And I think people really bought it. Even though this, you know, uh, there's so much. I mean, you cannot have more scandals and still be in this job. Let alone what's going yeah. on with the nursing homes and all those are linked to it. I got a sense, but you have a better sense being that this is your beat every day. That Lee Zeldin's got a legitimate shot. He's got a lot of respect in the Jewish community, served in yeah. the military. He's able to mm-hmm. function and get reelected in a very purple area of Suffolk County, New York. Do you, right. am, I, am I dreaming? Um, you're half dreaming. <laughs> I, I think Zeldin is an amazing candidate. I think he's really strong. Um, but I think New York has become such a deep blue state. And what we're seeing, especially in the last year, is so many people leaving who are not Democratic voters. So I think the Republicans and independent voters of the state are sort of fleeing. And I, I think that's the, the demographic of people who are really leaving in mass. So I think it's going to get harder and harder to elect a Republican in New York, although this is a great opportunity. Opportunity and Lee Zeldin is a good candidate. You have Eric Adams leading the mayoral race. This is the most prestigious mayor race in the country. You could argue it's more powerful mm-hmm. than the governor. Uh, Eric Adams, I was on with Ray Kelly. Ray Kelly was on with us today, and he does not like him. And he says, you know, I got rid yeah. of him, basically. He was in the, he's running on his law enforcement record, but law enforcement doesn't like Eric Adams. But it shows the, right. the New Yorkers rank 46%, rank number one uh, uh, safety cry, uh, issues, police mm-hmm. issues. Law enforcement issues. Well, if you look at, yeah, if you look at all of these candidates uh, in the Democratic primary, none of them are pro-police. All of them, when asked about crime, refer to how they're going to uh, reinvent the police department, the NYPD, instead of 
talking about how they're going to actually tackle crime. They see crime as something that we need, you know, anti-police, that they need to work on the police department in order to fix crime, which I think is just absurd. Um, I think there's a lot of things we can be doing about crime in New York City that we're absolutely not doing. I think more police is usually the answer, not fewer. Um, and I, this whole field is catering to this defund police uh, side of the electoral, you know, of the um, voters, and it's really unfortunate because I think New York needs sanity at this point, and we're definitely not getting it from anybody in this bunch. I know this. We haven't had sanity in New York, and they and they're getting a pass because the vaccine's so effective. Uh, Carol Markowitz, mm-hmm. uh, thanks so much. Columnist with the Thank New York Post, so Fox News contributor. Me. Thanks, Carol. Thanks. Um, best of luck getting your mask off your kids. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot to discuss still. We not didn't really get into deep critical race theory, how Barack Obama just left it off. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I also think that there are certain right-wing uh, media venues, for example, that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment of uh, a white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing uh, demographic changes and and do everything they can to give people a sense that um, uh, their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. And we're seeing it right now. Okay, we, we, we have such a huge problem with that statement. He's sitting there talking for white people, saying that people are stupid, white people are stupid, and they're being stroked and du- duped by uh, other white people looking to make money off uh, the critical race theory. Critical race theory uh, basically tells white America to apologize for everything they did instead of giving uh, all Americans credit for everything we've achieved. And as Condoleezza Rice said more eloquently than I will, she came out and said, you do not make America better by dividing America first. And what they're saying is you're blaming white people and saying fix it instead of say doing what we've done through our time together getting better, not pointing out the progress we have made. Critical race theory is uh, has victims and they want to victimize white kids and have them apologize. That's part of their Relearning America, how bad we are. Let's focus on the battles with the Indians, not the battle with the British. So here is more from Barack Obama on this. You would think, with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now, that you know the Republican Party would uh, be engaged in a significant d- debate about uh, how are we going to deal with the economy and what are we going to do about climate change and what are we going to do about... Lo and behold, the, the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. Who knew that that, <laughs> that was the threat to our republic? But those debates uh, uh, are powerful because they get at uh, what story do we tell about ourselves? Okay, number one, I have to finish what he said last time. Uh, as Speaking as a white person who knows other white people, I just happened to run into him, no one's worried about losing power in this country. We're all Americans. People don't walk around. Maybe you do, Mr. President, looking at, oh, the color of their skin. They must be smart. Uh, the color of their skin, the, the size of their uh, uh, their height, their weight. They must be from here. They must have these views. I can't generalize like that. I never tried you never tried. We never tried. But everything's labeled now. White people worried about losing their power and people are making money off that. Not true. If you live in everything politics, maybe that's your world. 
but most people don't work, walk around in the political world. White people aren't worried about losing America, white America. They're losing about worried about losing America. That's it. Understood? Worried about losing free market capitalism, not anything about skin color, the Hispanic, Asians, or anything else. Uh, I will say I don't care how many Asians get into Ivy League schools. I don't care how many uh, uh, blacks get into Ivy League schools. All I want to do is have an opportunity to get into that school, generations get into schools after or whatever you want to achieve. So Condoleezza Rice put it in perspective earlier about where she came from, Segregated South, and where she be- where she became um, a best-selling author, former Secretary of State, National Security Advisor, internationally renowned a Soviet, now Russian expert. I Uh, want kids to know about Tulsa. I also want them to know what that black community did to overcome that horrible massacre. I want them to know about 63 in Birmingham, but I want them to know that the mayor of Birmingham today is a black man who grew up in a poor community. So I want them to see the forward progress of America as well on these issues. And I want us as a country to do it together because uh, I don't want this to be black against white, my weaponization of my identity against yours. That makes sense. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Hi, LeBron James may be one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player to ever live. But guess what? He has another distinction. He is the most hated player in the NBA. Uh, That, according to a recent unscientific poll that says he's even less popular than Colin Kaepernick. Citing geotag titter data, the Los Angeles Lakers, Miami Heat, and Cleveland Cavaliers Star was declared the most hated. The Sports Insider map reflected over 70,000 tweets, hashtags, and direct keyword phrases about disliking NBA players in each state. Phrases like, I hate player X or I hate player Y sucks. According to that map, James was most hated in 24 states, with the only 24 teammate turned uh, turn foil, Kyrie Irving, even coming close, at least liked in 18 states. They don't even like each other, by the way. Also, you don't like stars that beat you. Nick fans didn't love Michael Jordan, but man, they do like him. So that is, there's a caveat to that. Next, Ellie Kemper, you know her from The Office and uh, her own TV special, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, has apologized profusely and embarrassingly. For, at 19 years old, there were photos that showed her participating at debutante ball that is linked to an organization that has been accused of racism. Do you believe this? She says, hey, guys, I was 19. I decided to participate in a debutante ball. The century-old organization that hosted the debutante ball had an unquestionable racist, sexist, and elitist past. I was not aware of that at the time. Of course you weren't. But ignorance is not an excuse. It gets worse. I was old enough to have educated myself before getting involved. I unequivocally deplore, denounce, and reject white supremacy. And I acknowledge that because of my race and my privilege, I'm the beneficiary of a system that has dispensed unequal justice and un." Equal rewards. That is sickening. That is called um, critical race theory. And she's buying hook, line, and sinker. I wonder if she'll be accepted black in the back in the world community and in the black community. My fingers are crossed. Next. 
Former McDonald's CEO warns the $15 minimum wage directly contributing to the fast food industry's automation push. The CEO, Ed Renzi, is warning that fight is going to go automated. The higher the minimum wage, he wants on to say, the higher the union contracts go. you got the Services International Workers Union going out to McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's like crazy. What they're going to do for those quick service restaurant workers, they're going to force us to go to machines. They're cheaper than people, no question. You know, if you walk into these places now, I mean, there are these kiosks set up. All you have to do is walk in, boom, you punch your order in the kiosk, boom, you pay for it. You don't even need to speak to a, a cashier anymore. I know. I went to Ruby Tuesdays about a year ago. I couldn't believe it. I had no waitress. All I had was a little board, and I ordered my food just delivered by some stranger. I don't know. Sounds like a cafeteria to me. Next, President Trump calls Bitcoin a scam. Told that to Stuart Varney. Listen. Bitcoin, I, I just seems like a scam. I don't like it because it's another currency competing against the dollar. Essentially, it's a currency competing against the dollar. I want the dollar to be the currency of the world. And he's worried about that. And Russia said, yep, you better look out, America. Next, Dana White wants Floyd Mayweather to retire. You know he's with the UFC. Listen. What did you think of your buddy Floyd Mayweather's uh, fight on Sunday night? I didn't see it, but uh, I heard it went to a distance. It went the distance, and uh, I would love to see Floyd retire. No more exhibitions, no more fights. No. Floyd should retire. He's had an incredible, incredible career, and to to do these type of fights is just it's silly. Well, he makes a hundred million bucks, and people like to watch, even though they couldn't get it on the stream. Next, Jeff Bezos will fly on the first passenger space flight of his company, Blue Origin, in July with his brother. This is brilliant because Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, taking a risk of his life, will say, if it's good enough for Bezos, it's good enough for me. It'll start passenger jet flights. It'll give him even more millions because there's so many people who want to do it on their bucket list. I might go if I could go to Mars first. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.